0: Well, good morning again, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find the Gospel of Matthew and the 8th and 9th chapters. Matthew chapter 8 as we continue in our series on the life of Christ and looking at Jesus, the miracle man. All right? So today is January 30th, 2022. On January 30th, 1980, a lot of you weren't even here. I was 21 years old. I was even a couple of years from being saved. And you think, you think this country uh, is in a funk now? You should have been around 1980. It was bad. The height of the Cold War was on between the Soviet Union and the United States with nuclear armaments and buildup. Uh, just a few months earlier, uh, the government in Iran was, was, was transformed and became radically Islamic. They sacked our embassy. They took captive 52 of our Americans as hostages and held them and symbolically held our country hostage for 444 days. All that was going on. And then there was a recession. Oh, well, we've had lots of recessions. Oh, yeah? When's the last time you bought a house at 16 and half percent Our first home. But there was a wonderful distraction, just as there is now, the Winter Olympics. (laughs) I mean, seriously. I mean, we look forward to that. But uh, remember, with the Cold War upon us, uh, and I'm not even a big hockey fan. Any hockey fans here? Okay, like three. (laughs) We're not in Canada. But you didn't have to be. The Soviet Union, the Red Army, had arguably the greatest hockey team in the history of hockey. They were absolutely awesome in the truest sense of the word. Now, they were supposed to be amateurs, but they weren't amateurs. They were so good... Their hockey team was so good that a year earlier in 1979, they came over to the United States and didn't play against the New York Rangers or the Chicago Blackhawks. They played against the NHL All-Stars, of which 20 of them would become future Hall of Famers and annihilated us. That's how good this team was. But this was the Olympics, and everybody loves the Olympics. Well, I got news for you. In those days, the NHL, the professionals, didn't play in the Olympics. These Russians, these amazing Russians, played against, uh, against a bunch of snot-nosed 18- to 22-year-olds, who many of which would never make the NHL. So it was the Russians versus the Americans. But we were winning. We were winning our games. We got into the medal round. We're playing against the Russians who had just, in an exhibition game a few days earlier, killed us. And everybody expected the same. That young punk American team pulled off, no argument, the greatest sports upset in the history of all sports by beating the mighty Russians. How great was it? Al Michaels, the younger, much younger commentator in those days, yelled out an epic line which has lasted a generation. So here's the situation. We in the last period had taken the lead. We're ahead four to three. And the seconds are ticking off. The crowd isn't just going berserk. It is absolutely delirious. And here's what took place at the very end. There, the puck is still loose, 11 seconds, you've got 10 seconds, the countdown going on right now, Morrow, up to soap. 5 I could watch that a hundred times and get excited every time. And now, Al Michaels' famous line has become a household sports name Do you believe in miracles? Well, do you believe in miracles? You say, Well, yes. I mean, miracles happen every day. Oh, please, don't be silly. We love the word "miracle" so much, we've watered it completely down. And so we say, "It's a miracle that I got here to church on time." Well, for some of you, it probably was, but that's not a miracle. A baby, every time a baby born is born, it's, "That's not a miracle. Might be beautiful, but it's not a miracle. Somebody gets better from being sick? Great? Answer a prayer. Absolutely. Miracle? No. I mean, even if the Chicago Cubs could win a World Series before the next hundred years, it would, okay, okay, that would be a miracle, but the rest of it is not. So what is a miracle? What is a miracle? What is a miracle exactly anyway? Let's get our jargon right, our biblical thinking straight here. Webster's Dictionary offers a pretty good uh, definition. It's an unusual or wonderful event believed to be caused by the power of God. Not bad. Wikipedia says it's a supernatural event that seems inexplicable by nature or scientific laws. Not bad either, except they leave out God. The Baker's Dictionary of the Bible has offered a decent one, but it's so clunky. It says, an event In the external world, brought about by the immediate agency or the simple volition of God. Okay. Henry Morris, the creation scientist, offers one with a little tongue-in-cheek. He says, a miracle is something scientifically impossible, but happens anyway. Not bad, but incomplete. Get your phone out if you want to take a screenshot of this. We won't leave it up for very long. Wayne Grudem, theologian, has offered... A really good one. This is it. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity, which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. That's a good definition of a miracle. For Christians, our belief in miracles is predicated on our belief in God. If the God of the Bible exists, it's not hard to believe in miracles, right? Or as C.S. Lewis said in his book on miracles, if God, then miracles. Charles Ryrie in his wonderful book, The Miracles of Our Lord, I highly recommend, writes, miracles, the evidence of supernatural reality is at the heart of our Christian faith, unquote. In the early days... I'll have you know that science itself was conceived as an investigation into the wisdom and wonder of God and in the ways in which he ruled the world. Not anymore. How important are miracles? Well, talking about the greatest miracle of all time, the apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14: if Christ isn't risen from the dead. Our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. I'd say that makes it pretty important. Wouldn't you? So yes, indeed, they are important. And when Jesus started his ministry, and we saw this a few weeks ago, he was in Nazareth, went into the synagogue, you know, unrolled the scroll, and quoted from Isaiah and referred it to himself. This day it is fulfilled in your ears. And he read in Isaiah that the blind would see. Isaiah 35, another place where it talks about the Messiah, said that he would, he would, he would, the deaf because of his ministry would be able to hear. The lame would leap. The mute would talk. Those are miracles. And Jesus did them all. I was in a... Um, I went to a a miracle conference many years ago after I became a Christian. I didn't go there because I was given toward it to toward the uh, toward the charismatic movement. I just wanted to see what they were all about. If there was any substance to what they were talking about. And it, there were thousands of people at this event and the, and the speaker, the one they all came to see, whipped them into a frenzy. They get a lot of mantras, a lot of mantras and, and I never saw anything actually happen in front of me. We went back home and didn't we just seemed all kind of strange to us. But the very next day in the paper, there was a woman from Gilbertville, Iowa, that said to a reporter that she had been healed, that she was blind, but now she could see. Now, would you say that's a miracle? If Yeah, I mean, on, on the surface. So the man who discipled me actually called, found out who she was, called her, and said, I just read in the paper here that you were blind, but... Now you can see. Is that true? She said, yes, I was blind. Now I can see. He said, please tell me about it. She said, well, I had cataracts. Okay. She goes, and before I went to see this great speaker, I could only see shadows. But today, I see shadows clearer than I've ever seen shadows before. I have have news for you. That's not a miracle. So, and and just, you know we we chuckle over that, but the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is there there are many of us that use that term and it it's un, just wrongly. I want I want to talk to you briefly about the nature of the miracles of the Lord Jesus, the nature of Jesus' is miracles. Okay, and so here's the first thing you need to know in the, in the nature of his miracles, they they were supernatural, not natural. They were radical. When you watch the miracle ministry of Jesus, and even later on in the apostles, they, they were blind, they were lame, they were deaf, they were dead. I mean, nobody ever argued whether a miracle took place if somebody was in the grave for four days and suddenly came to life. They weren't sore and achy and having migraines and, you know, sore backs. And I'm not saying Jesus didn't heal them. I'm saying there's no record of that. They were radical miracles. They didn't leave any room for doubt. In fact, I just thought of this. So much so that the Talmud, the the Jewish uh, book of the Talmud, says they, they called Jesus a sorcerer because they couldn't deny the fact that miracles took place. So they just chalked it up to the devil. Also, they were complete. Did you ever notice that no one Jesus ever healed had to go into convalescence? Remember Peter's mother? He heals her, and the Bible says she gets up and serves them. And lastly, Jesus' miracles were selfless. This is a big deal. The point is, Jesus never did a miracle for himself. He was tempted to do so. Remember that? The devil said, hey, there's, you're hungry, aren't you? There's a rock. There's a rock. Make it into a loaf of bread. No thanks, because he wasn't in it for himself, right? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, give, give his life a ransom for many. I, a couple of months back, I was in California speaking, and I, when I got done, a man came right up to me and started arguing with me and said that he was a healer. And uh, he was doing a lot of talking, and he, in the midst of it, he said, and I've even healed myself. I thought, well, that's interesting. Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus' miracles were selfless. And even when a doubting John the Baptist, remember the man, the one who introduced, the cousin who introduced Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. When he was imprisoned in a dark dungeon, doubting, struggling in a funk, he sends messengers to Jesus and he says, hey look, should we be, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Remember that? Jesus, knowing that his cousin knew the Old Testament, sends the messengers back, and he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor of the good news preach to them. John, yes, I'm him. Supernatural, radical, complete, and selfless. Selfless. Jesus' miracles were the proof that he was who he claimed to be. And they were a foretaste of the kingdom to come. When all wrongs and all of the maladies that we have, physical and mental and otherwise in our bodies are reversed, amen, everything in the kingdom to come. I have to confess to you that I wish I had expanded when I planned out this series, this part of the series, and really preached on several miracles. We'll we'll look at a specific miracle later on, but wow. Anyway, this is, you're going to get the whole enchilada here, okay? So we're talking about Jesus' miracles and you, Jesus' miracles and you, because All scripture is profitable, right? It's useful, it's helpful, there's there's application. Let's see if we can draw some from the miracles of our Lord. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus' miracles happened according to his willingness, not his ability. So chapter 8 says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt down before him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Notice he got it right. He said, if you will, that's willingness, you can, that's ability. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. By the way, you didn't touch lepers, except unless you're Jesus, you didn't. it was a reverse deal. There, he didn't become unclean. He made the leper clean. But it also shows you the compassion of our Lord. He didn't just cleanse people. He did it out of love, didn't he? And he stretches out his hand, he touches the leper and says, I can, I can. Is that what he says? What did he say? He said, I'm willing. The issue was never about his ability. It was always about his will. And the leper got it right. Listen, even if your struggle will take a miracle to be freed from, your relief, your healing Whatever your cry to God is, hear this clearly. It's not predicated on Jesus' ability. He is able. Nothing is impossible with God. And my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. It is not predicated on his ability. It is predicated on his willingness. That is the question. Is he willing? Willing? And that's where we have to submit, right? Nearly a year ago, at Easter time, we had our Good Friday. Pastor Jason get, did this walkthrough, remember that? This, this interactive time where we w- went through the passion of Jesus right to his death and several places. And right over here in the corner was, the, was Gethsemane. And if you were with us, you'll recall there were cups, stacks of cups and and uh, we reenacted, we went through that where Jesus is in the garden. He says to his father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. And the challenge in that moment was to take one of those cups and write on it something that you had to die to. Something you had to submit to God to. And in the moment, I was, I was, uh, I was really struggling I was struggling over somebody very near and dear to my heart, and uh, the situation was, had really emotionally wrecked me. And uh, so I took one of those cups, and I, I wrote that situation on there, and, and very reverently and very genuinely, with all of my heart, I offered it to God, and I, it was a very moving moment for me. And about three hours later, I was laying in bed and thinking about that situation, not earlier night, but the situation that was killing me was tearing my heart out. And I was, I just, it was one of those, I was in bed, I couldn't turn my brain off. Have you ever been there? I just couldn't turn it off. And I was tossing over this thing, and I was crying a little bit, and I was praying, and it's like God just spoke to me. He said, do you remember what you just did a couple hours ago here? And it's like the Lord said, give this to me. Give this to me. In, in an act of the will, I did. God, I do give this to you. And he gave me peace. And let me just say this to you. If there's something or someone that you're begging God to change and it hasn't happened, if God is not willing, dear follower of Jesus, know this. If he's not willing to make that change, to heal that person, to change that relationship, whatever it may be, if he's not willing to do it, it's not because he's not able, but if he's not willing to do it, this is no evidence of his lack of love or care for you. Jesus doesn't have to prove his love and care for you anymore. He did it on the cross, and that should be enough. Daniel's friends got it right when they were told, You're going to go into that fiery furnace. And they said, We don't care. Our God is able. We just don't know if he's willing. Our God's able to deliver us. But if not, we're not going to bow down to you or your idol, King. So, Jesus' miracles happened according to his willingness, not his ability. Secondly, Jesus' miracles sometimes happened according to one's faith. You can't get around this. In Matthew chapter 8, in verses 5 through 13, is is the famous story of the centurion. Remember, this is one of the the two times Jesus ever marveled. Here comes the centurion. He's got a servant who's dying. Jesus says, I'll come to your house. He says, no, you don't need to do that. I'm a man under authority. I tell people to go and do this, and they do it. And, I mean, just like you. And Jesus absolutely is marveling over this. I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere. And then he actually kind of rebukes the Jews that are around him. But he says at the very end in verse 13, he says, "And, And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you, watch this, as you have believed. And it was in that moment that his servant was healed. As you have believed. There's no getting around it. This man's faith was the avenue to the miracle. And there's no idiotic name it and claim it garbage that the health, wealth, and prosperity cults tell you. And if, you're, if you have any association with those kind of churches, get out. They're ruining the faith of people. But on the other hand, don't wa- let's not water this down. Later on in chapter 9, verse 22, he says, your faith has made you well. And a couple of verses later, according to your faith, so let it be done to you. I mean, there's no question but that times, the miracles Jesus did happened in accordance with someone's faith. I'll never forget hearing an outstanding communicator years ago preaching, and I was in the audience and he told the story, he, he had a small group of people, he was evangelistic, and he was working with these new Christians, and, and uh, he was a seasoned believer, and, and he had a, like a 13-year-old girl who had just come to Christ who was in this group of people. And they were coming together for study, and just as the study began, word came to them that one of the daughters of somebody in the group had like 106 or 7 temperatures, like an extraordinarily high temperature. And they were afraid she was going to go into shock. And they were really concerned. And they asked the group to pray for the healing of their daughter. So the preacher, the mature preacher, thought, let's let's pray. And he asked the new, brand new Christian to pray. And here's how the 13-year-old prayed. Oh, God, please take your fever away. If you don't do it, God, I'm going to quit believing in you. That's not good theology. And you can imagine how stunned everybody was in that room. It wasn't good theology, but it was lots of faith. And they, according to him, in that moment, the the fever went down. Now, this isn't, I hesitate to say, I don't want you to think, oh, hold God over a barrel? No, don't do that. Not smart. You know what this means to me? You know what this says to me? It's what I've said at the beginning of this year. God, give me this faith. I want this kind of faith. Not a faith that doubts you or believes weird things about you, but believes in you and your ability. I know it's in accordance with your will, but may God increase our faith because there are times God won't do anything without it. Thirdly, Jesus' miracles happen to increase the faith of his followers. This takes us to chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. You remember, this is the famous story. He's in the boat. Uh, you know, a storm comes. Waves are crashing over. Jesus is sleeping. Oh, Jesus, save us. Don't you care? He gets up, rebukes the storm. The sea turns to glass. Remember that? And they're just like, <sighs> And Jesus says, oh, you of what? Little faith. Not a compliment, by the way. Jesus did miracles to increase the faith of his followers. Just in the last few weeks, there are two separate individuals came to me, and I pray- they asked me to pray. They were some fairly serious physical issues going on in their lives, and I prayed fervently for them. And in both cases, they were fine within a day. It's amazing. Was that a miracle? No. Was it an answer to prayer? Yes, it was an answer to prayer. Did it increase my faith? Yes! I want more of this kind of faith, God. Even our several building campaigns we've had over the last nearly quarter of a century, there have been some amazing things that have taken place. You've just made a bunch of promises. God has raised up all of the facilities around here without borrowing a penny. These aren't miracles, but they're faith builders, are they not? As we're transformed from the inside out. Fourth. Jesus' miracles happened in order to expand his fame. Just a couple of verses. At the end of, at the end of uh, chapter 9, not at the end, verse 26, this is after he'd healed the, the little girl. He brought her back to life. It says, and the report of this went throughout all that district. And then when he heals the two blind men, uh, a couple of verses later, uh, verse 31, it says, and they went away and his what? His fame spread throughout all the district. I love Psalm 135, verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame throughout all generations. Have you ever read that? And here is how you judge when something extraordinary occurs, whether God is in it, if his name and his fame are lifted up. If his name and his fame aren't lifted up, it's probably not of God. Because God is all about the expansion of his fame. We'll move on. Number five, Jesus' miracles demonstrated his rule over the demonic realm. Chapter eight, verses 28 and following. This is the very familiar passage of scripture. This is the passage where you have these two men who are demon-possessed. Mark only has one of them, but they're two guys. They have demons. They're full of demons. There's a legion in them. And they encounter Jesus, and the demons are talking to Jesus through this guy. Remember that? And we'll cut into the context, verse 29. And behold, they cried out, what have have you to do with us, O son of God? By the way, there's not a liberal demon in hell, okay? They know who he is. O son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding some distance from them, and the demons begged Jesus, saying if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. And you know the story, they go into the pigs, down the mountain, the hillside they go, and they drown. And every time I read this story, I think of that time I've shared with you before, coming home from Sunday school, not from church rather, and our daughter's telling us what she learned, this story she'd learned in Sunday school, and our three-year-old sitting between his mom and I, and she's describing all this, how the demons went to the pigs, how the pigs went down the hill, how the pigs all drowned. And I said, Well, like yeah, that's crazy stuff, but how do we apply this to our lives? And my three-year-old goes, Well, don't, don't play near the water. <laughs> okay, that's one way to apply the text. I think we can do better. How about don't mess with Jesus? (laughs) Demons don't mess with Jesus. Listen to this. Demons don't mess with Jesus. They submit to him. And this is going to be the only time from this platform you'll ever hear me say, do like the demons. James said, resist the devil, submit to God, he'll bug out. Submit to Jesus. Because Jesus' miracles demonstrated his power over the demonic world. Sixth, Jesus' miracles sometimes happen according to the faith of others. Chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came into his own city. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. Remember another, another passage has him have them tearing out the, the, you know, the roof and letting him down. And, uh, and lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw, look at it. When Jesus saw what? His faith? When he saw their faith, Jesus healed this man according to his friend's faith, not his. There's no indication that he had faith, although his sins were forgiven, so he must have. When someone tells you they're praying for you, they are believing before God something about you, you better not ignore it. Praise the Lord for the faith of others in our lives. And by the way, you might be one of the others. Is it possible that someone's deliverance from sin, some malady, some mental issue, some addiction they may have, is it possible that someone's deliverance from sin's power is predicated on your faith? Or mine? I? I would submit to you from the text, yeah. Yes. Jesus' miracles sometimes happened according to other people's faith. Seventh, Jesus' miracles demonstrated his power to forgive one's sins. And back to the paralytic, Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And remember, who can forgive sins but God? That's the point, Jesus says. What's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and pick up your mat. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, get up, and he does. Look, what good is Jesus if if he can stop storms, calm seas, and take away your cancer? if he doesn't take away your sin. Because if he doesn't take away your sins, you're still dead in your trespasses and you still go to hell. And let me remind you of this, in this day where we all want a miracle. Every single person that Jesus healed, right? Right all the way to Lazarus, dead in the grave. Every single one of them lived to die again. Just like you, just like me. All of us are going to die. And what's more important, to have a miracle in your life or to have the greater miracle of your sins being expunged from your heart? Amen? And to have a relationship with the living God. Do you, have you had that? Have you experienced that, your sins being forgiven? Lastly, Jesus' miracles demonstrated his power over death. In chapter 9 and verse 25, when this, he goes to the house of the little girl who died. And he shows up, remember that? And he says, well, she's just sleeping. <laughs> Are you, they laugh. They scorn him. So he just tells them to leave. And Mark's gospel tells us he takes Peter and James and John into the house with them. He takes the little girl by the hand, it says, and he says, Telatha Kumai, little girl, get up. And she does. How cool is that? The miracles of our Lord showed his power over death. And one day, one day. This same Jesus is going to take the hand of my Nina, the hand of my wife's first husband, Lori, and so many of the saints of Sailorville down through the years. He's going to take the hands of Richard and Lucille Peterson. That's Lisa Johnson's grandpa and grandma. They were here when I got here. Kenny and Donna Carlson, Harold and Ellen Ober, Lorraine Cross, Rebecca Rankin, Josiah Johnson, Norma Shipp, Jenny Pasek, Dixie Gates, and a bunch of others whose spirits now reside with him. And he's going to take them by the hand, just like he's going to take you and me when we're dead and we're in the graves, and he's going to say, Arise! Because he's got the power to do so. Amen? And that's a miracle, yes, you can look forward to. So as those last seconds ticked off in the greatest upset in the history of all sports, Al Michael's now famous rhetorical question, do you believe in miracles, is in every sports household. But if you listen closely, he actually said one more word. Five seconds left in the game. What's the word? Yes! Do you? Some of you don't need a miracle. You need to believe in one. That God would become a man. That the man would live a perfect life. That he would die on the cross for you. He would rise again for you. He would ascend into heaven for you. You need to believe that in that person, the Lord Jesus. You don't need a wonder, you need a word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what you need. Believe what the scripture says. And some of you, you don't need to somebody, you you don't need to see somebody raised from the dead. You need to be raised from the dead. Because you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. And some of you watching online, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And you need the greatest miracle of all, which we just said, the forgiveness of your sins by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've trusted Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, behold, Jesus, the miracle man. May he increase our faith to believe him, to do great things that will make his name and his fame glorious, amen? God, we love you and thank you so much for the life of Jesus, the the many, many miracles, 35 of them recorded. We know you did a lot more, Jesus, but these just make us, Stare in wonder. And we know, Lord, that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And we recognize that you're going to come again. And when you set up your kingdom, you will reverse the curse. And there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more cancer. no more decrepitness, no more mental instability. The former things will be passed away because you, Lord Jesus, the miracle man, will change it all. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We pray for everyone in this room and watching online who have never experienced the forgiveness of their sins and new life in Jesus, that they, you, dear friend, would trust in him today. And for those of us who have, Lord Jesus, increase our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.